Welcome to Beyond, conversations with artists, makers, explorers who have gone outside of the norm to create their own true world, to sing their own precious song. Each of us is born with a song inside, but most will die having never sung it. Imagine if, as a little child, instead of being asked, what will you do when you grow up? What will you be? Or what kind of job will you get when you grow up? If instead you are told, now is the time to listen. As you grow, listen for the sounds of your song. The song that comes from your blood, your bones, your people. Listen for the melody, the verses, the tune. And when you hear your song, sing it. Imagine that kind of world. That's the kind of world I'm devoted to building. I am your host, Daphne Cohn, the creator of multiple online programs, courses, and within a community for artists, makers, and writers dedicated to the courage and practice of singing their own song. I ask you, are you ready to sing your own song? Are you ready to go beyond? My guest today is Ashley Riverbrandt. Ashley is a multidimensional artist, writer, teacher, and bridge between worlds. She is a spiritual alchemist with a vision of bringing more beauty to this planet, a mystic sharing the teachings of the other worlds, a channel for Mother Earth. Her work is about reconnecting you to your creative genius, the whole ecosystem of life swirling within you, guiding you home to your heart's longings, burning desires, powerful intuition, and truth. She is the author of Tending to the Sacred, Rituals to Connect with Earth, Spirit, and Self. In this conversation, we talk about the four pillars of ritual and how we use them to create our own life, building courage to follow the inklings buried within, leaving what you know for what you most long to explore, the power of pleasure and the consequences of not prioritizing it, how to create your intention and get back into or stay living a creative life. When you listen to Ashley speak, you can hear her heart in her voice, how intensely she loves, how profoundly she cares. Being part of a conversation with her is already a slowing down and softening, a paying attention to the smaller moments. Ashley inspires you to tune in and follow, to come back to what most matters and to travel your truest path. Ashley will be joining me and the members of Within for a more intimate artist talk in January on intention and ritual in the new year. You can learn more about all things Ashley at ashleyriverbrant.com, and you can join me and the artists, makers, and writers of Within for an intimate Q&A with Ashley over at within-online.com. May this conversation inspire you to go within, to the raw, wild expanse of mystery that is your beating heart vibrating body, pulsing life, in order to go beyond, to utter the sacred, your words, dance, painting, art, to sing your own song. Welcome, Ashley, to the podcast Beyond. It is really a pleasure and an honor to have you. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. I wanted to start um, with something that you wrote, you say, it is what I believe the world needs now more than ever, 
more sensitive beings, trusting the wisdom of the heart and having the courage to be creative. I want to start with this because one, almost all the listeners identify as artists, makers, creatives of some kind, but this, this idea of the courage to be creative, if we can begin by just speaking to this work of courage, and I actually want to read one other thing that you wrote that relates to that and then give you the space to answer. Mm -hmm. The real work is courage, courage to trust yourself and value your dreams and honor your medicine and what you have to share and what you want to share. This is the time where you have to trust yourself and take leaps. You have to do the work. And they're, they're not saying quite the same thing, but just on this topic of courage, if you can speak to beginning with your own experience of the kind of courage that you've had to tap into to do the work, like your tattoo work, but most recently stepping into writing, tending to the sacred and putting yourself out into the world as you now are. Yeah, for me personally on my journey, I've always been a bit of a rebel. I think all artists are a bit of rebels. Um, I didn't come from a really supportive background, but I also came here knowing really strongly what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to be an artist. I knew that I was very different from the people around me as most artists are. And so it required a lot of courage to trust myself, to trust my desires, to trust what I wanted to create for myself and not allow what has been created for me to be my life. So to not, you know, follow in the footsteps of my family line that's come before me and to really step out on my own. And so leaving home at an early age, moving to New York, at an early age, I've pretty much been self-employed my whole and entire adult life, which takes a lot of courage and a lot of trust. And I've always just wanted to create something that's very different too. I started my tattoo practice, soul tattoos at a time where there was not a single person doing that I knew of doing anything remotely similar to what I was feeling called to do. And it takes a lot of courage to do that. It takes a lot of courage to not look outside yourself for the validation, the acceptance, the guidance, whatnot, and really believe in yourself and believe in your desires and what you're wanting to create. And my biggest dream since I was really young was to write a book and to create an oracle deck. This required a lot of courage too because I had to step away from my tattoo practice in order to pursue um, publishing and to create the, the creative space, the energetic space to really um, bring through this book. And that's a really scary thing to, to let go of a whole career whole career that has brought me a lot of success, um, a lot of attention, a lot of recognition, but always coming back to my heart and knowing that there's more. There's more that I can be creating here. There's 
there's more that I want to be creating and having the courage to really follow that as a North Star. When we are creatives, we're all here to create change, to be radically different, to be very expressive. I mean, art is the expression of the heart and to have an open heart and to follow the heart requires a lot of courage. That's beautiful art is the expression of the heart. And I wanna come back to that, but first this whole thing about not allowing what has been created for you to be your life and this courage to not look outside for validation. Honestly, I, I still don't quite get that. I mean, I've been alive for a while now and this, this idea of not looking outside myself for validation, I love the idea of it. And I've worked actually pretty diligently at what that looks like for me in my life and still really come up against the fear of what happens when, when I don't go to the world outside world for validation. So if you could speak a little bit more to these beginning steps for you of not allowing what was created for you to be your life. Like that the consciousness is one thing, the awareness is one thing, and then the actual doing that is a whole nother thing. Well, I think it's two things. One, it's really, really important to focus on strengthening your sense of self and really honoring your own authority, getting to know your own authority. And this really is about reparenting. For me, I, I was born into parents that uh, were babies. They were really, really young when they had me, not really ready to be parents. Um, I had a childhood where I had to be really independent. And I think that this really supported me learning to trust myself because I had to rely on myself. But in order to really weave a new web for ourselves and live a life where we are following our inner authority, we have to really be our own mothers and fathers and to understand where we need to be nourished, what part of us do we need to accept in order to find deeper trust, where are we closing off our hearts to life. You have different childhood parts within you. And so it's, it's really learning to get to know those parts and mother them and father them. You said it's one thing to trust yourself and then taking action is, is another part of it. And that's where the healed masculine comes in. That's like the divine father. The divine father is the one who supports us in taking actions. But it's, it's a big part of my own healing is is coming into that, being the mother and being the father that I never had, or I never had the mother and father that I needed in order to be the person that I came here to be. One thing that you talked about, like at some point on your journey was, you said, I began purging everything from my life that didn't foster my core desires and truth, relationships, jobs, fears, false beliefs, and stories people-pleasing behaviors, pretending to be someone I was not, and so on. 
And there's a couple of things that come up for me when I hear that one is, okay, you become aware of it. You say, I'm, I'm purging all of this. And where does it go? Are you replacing them with a whole nother set of beliefs? And then just consistently aligning with those, like really being attentive and committed and devoted to the new reality that you create in place of what you purged. This, I think, really comes back to my ritual practice and everything that Tending to the Sacred is about. Though in, in the book, I talk about the four pillars of ritual, which are intention, space, love, and belief. And those are really the core pillars to create change in our lives. So, you know, what are you purging? I talked about um, purging people-pleasing, right? So I have an intention to let go of people pleasing and honor myself as my authority and put myself first. And then I'm gonna create space for that purging. I'm going to um, create space to let go of it. So maybe that means just taking space for myself to journal, to be in ritual, to be in meditation, to really think about how I can create that change. The space that you create is really like space for contemplation and space for creativity to, to really happen. And then you have love. And this is really like, this is love is really about making sure that your heart is in what you're wanting to create, but also like it's a little bit about being your own mother energy. It's when we're letting go, when we're transforming, when we're purging something from our life, we come face to face with death. We, we're letting go, we're grieving, we're, we're letting a part of ourselves die. And if it's a part of you that has been, you know, just a part of how you're operating in the world for a long time, there's going to be a lot of um, grieving. There can be a lot of pain. And your belief the final pillar is really about trust. You know, can you trust yourself that you can create change? Can you trust creativity? Can you trust life? Can you trust that you're here to be, you know, more than a people-pleasing martyr? <laughs> you're here to really create change. And so for me, creating change comes back to ritual always. But a lot of it is like baby steps and, and little action steps and people pleasing is, is really an energetic boundary thing. So when someone's asking something of you and you are your, your default from your place of people pleasing, that place of seeking validation, that, that place of putting others before yourself, then you're going to need to choose differently to make a choice you don't have to keep defaulting in this this old way of being so you know every time you're 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 met with that it's learning to say no or learning to choose differently and the more that you create the more that you make a different choice the more that your entire system actually changes it's it's really powerful to you know, take the intention and put it with actual action. I think a lot of reasons why we can get stuck in these cycles of feeling like, you know, we can't heal something or we're, we're never going to move on from a pattern that we're living out is because of that disconnect from the courage to choose differently. 
the courage to say, no, I'm not going to respond in that way. I'm going to do differently. I'm going to choose myself today. I'm going to say no to this person or, you know, whatever it needs to be for you. So if I'm going to choose ritual as a way of, um, well, okay, here's a good example. I say, I want to put more ritual into my life. And then I say, okay, that's my commitment, but I'm really busy. So now I'm going to do this first. And then I'm going to, I'll do ritual a little bit later, like this whole thing around productivity and worth and all these, and just this deep, deep conditioning around getting a lot done, basically. <laughs> what is a way that you meet that, that you meet this resistance to really trusting and giving the time to, to yourself and to what is truly calling you? Yeah, well, a lot of this is kind of like a seeing as believing thing. I think we have to engage in something differently in, in order to see the results. So maybe this for you would look like taking space to engage in ritual a few times a week and then seeing how you feel and allowing that to strengthen your trust muscle. Um, and it also comes back to those four pillars and especially love. How can you make ritual something that feels like really juicy and exciting for you that really fulfills your heart? You know, it doesn't have to look like anything you've seen it before. It can be something that you're already doing, but taking, you know, an extra minute to really clear space and set your intention before you engage, you know, making your coffee in the morning, making your tea, it can be so simple. And I think that that's sort of the gateway is, is, you know, taking the things that we already do that are habits or just routine and bringing those four pillars in to create ritual. And then from there, our ritual practice can grow and we start, we can start incorporating more practices, but it doesn't have to be like, you know, a full one hour ceremony. It can be very, very simple. And I think that this is like where a lot of people are like, oh, I don't have time for that. Or, um, you know, they're not seeing like the instant results or it doesn't feel productive. And so a lot of people are just like, uh, you know, like maybe another time, maybe on the weekend. <laughs> but ritual is highly, highly productive. It's just a productivity that doesn't, always give instant validation or external results. You know, it's not something you're getting paid for. The energetic exchange is more in the unseen and it requires so much presence and openness to really receive that. And that's where the pillar of space comes in. If you're not really like sinking into that openness and that presence, then it's just gonna be like you're doing it without a result or it's it's going to be like mindless or meaningless that makes sense there so there's a couple of things you just touched on one is the openness and then a little bit before you talked about death so I want to come back to the death piece because I think um well death is just a huge part of the conversation really it's a huge part of creation it's a huge part of creativity mm -hmm. it's a huge part of of shifting um, in our lives and we don't talk about death very much. So I, I really want to come back to that and I'll make sure we do. But first I want to touch on this piece of openness because I, you know, I, I read tending to the sacred and then I was listening to some of the episodes of your podcast 
and was really struck in particular by some of the, the stories that you shared. And this moment in time, I think it was 2016, when you decided to go full in with spirit and I don't, I'm trying to recall the details. I think it was either New Zealand or I can't remember mm-hmm. where, you, where you were, but this giving over in a way that requires deep opening too. And there's a lot of ways to look at open and what open means, but this one particular aspect of opening up to whatever may come and really surrendering into that. Can you share a little bit of that story and, and what that looked like for you? Yeah, for me, the openness was really about stopping to not be so forceful with life. I think we tend to get in these cycles where we're trying, trying, trying to make things happen. And then we're, we're, we get stuck in this like cycle of suffering or we get stuck in the cycle of victimization or like nothing's happening, nothing's coming to me. And that's sort of where I was in my life for many years and just feeling like, why doesn't anything in my life match what I know it could be or what I know in my heart I deserve or you know what I really, really want? And so for me, the opening was to completely surrender and to completely like let go of everything that I was holding on to that was just for a false sense of safety. So the relationship that was just, you know, I knew wasn't good for me from really the the day it began, Um, letting go of this relationship that was a false sense of security, letting go of the jobs that were a false sense of security, everything that just, it truly didn't feel, fill me with joy or pleasure or inner security in opening up to the universe and just being like, I'm ready for more. I'm ready for, to live a life of passion. I'm ready to trust. I'm ready to not ignore spirit anymore and to not ignore myself. I was in a space of really, really ignoring myself, ignoring everything I wanted, every intuitive impulse, like just completely denying myself. And so the opening was, I, I was, in New Zealand. And I just remember my body completely surrendering. Like I, I said, okay, I'm ready. I'm opening. And it felt like I like laid back on the earth and it just felt like everything started to wash away. Like my body was opening up, my like weight was falling off and, and clarity came from that moment, that moment of letting go and opening allowed so much to come in. I, I, it was one of the most clear moments in my life where I just, everything came through and I completely changed my life after that. Cause once you have the clarity, it's, you can't really ignore it. It's, it's interesting because I think we confuse that with, it's like you said, Ashley, when you're just talking about ritual and it can be easy to say, oh, nothing's happening, nothing's happening. And this, this confusion between 
no, I'm doing the ritual, where's the result? And thinking that that's open when mm. open is that letting go of the result. It's yeah. complete yeah. surrender. I'm so fascinated by this, this difference. It's, it's subtle and it's huge because I know I've spoken with people who say, oh yeah, I had, I had a moment where I was like, I surrender, I'm open, <laughs> nothing happens. And I think, okay, what, what is that? What's that difference of what happens? And I'm, I'm asking you, like, if you think, is that expectation? Is it, mm. what is that? Yeah, I think it can be a little bit of ego, the expectation, the, you know, it's one thing to say, like, I surrender, I'm open. And then it's another thing to actually believe it. And that's where like the pillar of belief comes in to um, your ritual practice or when you're creating change, you have to actually believe it can happen. Because when you believe you have full trust, you know, you're, you're completely letting go because you know that you're going to be okay. Were there times when you said, I believe and had to actually live into the belief, like the belief was just kind of a seed that you felt okay, I believe, but there's still some lurking doubt and you just had to keep holding to that? Or do you generally just, no, I believe it. I see it. I feel it. I believe it. When I have the clarity around something, I am all in with trust. I fully believe. But I think before that moment that I really, really surrendered, I definitely had a lot of times in my life where I thought that I was believing and I really wasn't. It was a little bit of a spiritual bypassing sort of mm -hmm. thing, but also just being really young and, and naive and just being kind of caught in the wrong energies that I couldn't really even feel myself. I couldn't really feel what do I truly believe because I was, you know, absorbing beliefs around me or still feeling imprinted from the beliefs of my family. Um, and it, it really does, I think, require a lot of space to, to clear out all of the beliefs that are not actually serving you and to really get clear on what, are, what do you really believe. Because if you know what you really believe, then it's going to be a lot easier for you to surrender and trust. Like when you talk about the space and then in the, when you're doing your soul work tattoo, and you're traveling around the world, you have an eight year waiting list. I mean, it's really, it sounds like it's intense. Where <laughs> was the space in that to hear, oh no, not this anymore? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was definitely in a place of completely overworking. I mean, I look back now and think like, how did my body even do the work that I was doing? I have no idea. There wasn't space, but I still was hearing, I think for about a year, I was hearing, you can't do this work anymore. You can't do it at the level that you're doing it. But it's important to be patient with ourselves as we create change. You know, it can be really scary to, I had done it before where I dropped everything and changed everything. But for this, it took some time to actually create that space. I had clients booked up for months, residencies planned. And a part of that space was moving to where I live now. 
on the Mendocino coast because there's nothing but space. I'm like in a forest. I'm looking at all of the trees right now outside my window. It's so quiet. There's so much space. And once I created that space, everything else started to come through, but we can't create space if we're go, 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 go. It's, it's, it's much harder. And so for me, it was, you know, I had enough space in my life to keep creating, but it wasn't enough space to recreate. So I can almost hear, it's interesting because it's, it feels like sadness of not from you, but like of someone listening, I hate to project to what someone listening might be experiencing, but I just have to speak to this, which is because this is not my personal experience. I actually do have a fair amount of space in my life, but there are so many people that feel almost strangled by the, the amount of to do and to get done in their life and hear something like this and say, yeah, I would love to live in a forest and have so much space. I would love to have that place. And even I, with all the space that I have, it's still easy for me to go, well, yeah, but I still need to do this, but this is more of a priority. I, I would love to hear a little more of your story of like really getting on that deep down level of what it is to prioritize yourself and to listen to that, which is beyond you, beyond the personality of Ashley? Mm. Well, just to come back to this productivity conditioning, this, this collective conditioning that we have that feels like we'll never have enough time to do all the things that we need to do. And, and this is really like a collective conditioning that is ingrained in all of us. And in order to really create change with us, like we all have to uh, change. You know, this is a system that was set up for us. It's actually not sustainable for anyone. And in order to create that change, yeah, you have to get really real with yourself. You have to get quiet and listen, you know, what do I really want? What do I really need? What's going to feel more sustainable for me? What do I need to prioritize? Um, what's going to fuel me the most right now? You don't have to do everything. And I think that we get caught up in these these cycles of feeling like we have to do so much in order to prove ourselves worthy. And we actually will feel a deeper sense of worth when we are doing the thing that is really, really fueling us and feeling really, really aligned with us. And for me, I, I was in that space of feeling like I didn't have any time to actually do the things that I wanted to do. And my biggest dream, like I said, since I was really young, like I remember having this dream when I was a child to create an Oracle deck and my Oracle deck is coming out in October. But, But I was like, how will I ever have the time to do this? How will I ever create the thing that I came here to create? It never was my intention or dream to be a tattoo artist and it can sound kind of crazy to say because I was a very successful tattoo artist 
doing tattooing in this unique way that I did it. Um, and I think that that's something we really have to look at too. Like are the thing that's gonna bring us most, the most fulfillment and joy and purpose and pleasure in our life isn't necessarily the thing that we're, we find like the greatest success in or you know, we're really good at or everyone wants it from us. We have to be willing to surrender to not having that external validation and to not have that, um, that sort of consumerism energy around us and to really just focus on what do you wanna create? Because whatever it is that you wanna create is actually the thing that you're meant to create. And we often don't give that part of us space and time because it does require um, a lot of patience. I mean, for me with the Oracle deck, I was working on it for six years and still not out in the world. <laughs> and, and that's, you know, creation takes time. And if there's something really big that we want to create and we're in the cycle of like, oh, I just like don't have time to do anything that I really want to do. And there's the kids and the job and, you know, homemaking and, and all the things. How can you create space for even just five minutes a day to prioritize the creation that really wants to come through you? How can you really anchor your energy into that space and trust that it will pay off in time if you are dedicated, if you're committed to what really wants to come through your heart. And it really speaks to your journey because I think this is an important piece of information because a lot of times when I interview people, they're either at a really high point in their career or they're steadily moving in that direction. And what's interesting is how you were doing the soul tattoo business, like you said, really successful in the ways that we measure success in the society. And then you left that. And I don't know what the situation is right now, but last year at some point you left that when you had, you recorded a podcast where you talked about, you went from making all this money, living in San Francisco and traveling all over and getting paid a thousand dollars per tattoo to living in the redwoods living, you know, Mendocino on the Mendocino coast, making $2,000 a month and feeling more abundant, wealthier, richer than you'd ever felt. And that understanding that it doesn't always look like more money. It doesn't always look like what we talk about as financial security or this upwardly mobile direction as much as how you feel internally. Yeah, I think this really comes to what do we value? For me, I've never valued money as a measure of my success. I know that our society does, but you know, in that space that I was creating for myself towards the end of my, you know, traveling around the world doing tattoos. I got really real with myself and asked myself, what do I value? And everything in my life needs to match this value. And what I value the most is nourishment, nourishing myself and others, but myself first so that I can nourish others. Pleasure, so making sure that everything I do is pleasurable. Beauty, which is art, you know, making 
the world a more beautiful place and freedom feeling like I am free to be me. I'm free to create what I want. I'm free to change. I'm free to evolve. And, you know, my tattoo practice, like, yes, I was creating beauty. Yes, I was providing nourishment for others, but it wasn't pleasurable for me anymore. It wasn't nourishing me anymore. And I didn't feel free. I felt very, very constricted. I felt like, you know, people were in my studio in San Francisco, people were flying all around the world to come have sessions with me. And it made me feel like I couldn't have a sick day. I couldn't like, you know, cancel a client if I needed to. I felt very um, constricted. So, you know, I I had to look at this value system and and realize like, okay, I, I deserve something that matches my values. And I don't have to sacrifice myself in order to um, give people what they want from me. That's beautiful. And it's also redefining. It's, it's redefining what it looks like to like have your needs taken care of and mm-hmm. follow what you feel you deserve, like to really understand that and, mm-hmm. and to take that to stand, you know, this is what I deserve, which of course is many layers deep because it's knowing are that this is what I want. This is what's important to me. And then it's, I deserve to have this and coming back to the courage. I have the courage to do whatever that means to move at least in that direction, to take mm-hmm. the steps and to listen. We're get, we'll get into listening to in a minute. I want to come back first to, to death and, and we are going to get a little more into ritual as well, but with death, I, I think about this a lot of how in much of Western culture, death is something that we keep at a distance, do not talk about, and in a lot of ways have very little reverence and respect for. It's something we want to avoid, even though we know that's impossible. And and yet death is also something that happens. Like you talked about, there's death of self over and over. There's death of beliefs. There's death of, of ideas. And actually you say, you say a part of creation is death. Stories have to die. Beliefs have to die. Structures and systems and ways of being have to die. We have to be courageous enough to face death for new things to emerge. When you're facing death, What does that look like and how are you moving through that? Mm. Personally, it's often going into a really painful space. You know, I think one of I I think one of the reasons we avoid death is we're afraid of pain, we're afraid of change, and we're afraid of letting go. And it's painful. And we really resist anything that's going to feel uncomfortable for us. I've gone through enough um, death in my life to know that on the other side of death is profound creativity. Experiencing death in my life has made me really trust death and trust that it's okay to let go and it's okay to face this death. It's okay to feel like my heart is shattered because 
so much new life is coming from this space. And I don't see death as like a, a the end situation or like something is gone. It's more of like an energy is changing. And that perspective has allowed me to really understand death and be okay with it. It's also a practice of trust and it's a, a practice of, of learning. The more that we face death, the more that we learn to trust it, the more we become okay with it. Um, it's, it's again, that opening, that surrender. And it's painful, but it's necessary. It's a necessary part of life. We never face death, we never change. And this is why we live in a society that we do now that's very, very stagnant. It's why you know we have all of this chaos happening in our world right now to get us to face death, to get us to, to grieve and to open and to hopefully come to a place of greater understanding and greater compassion and greater unity. But it can't happen without death. Mm. I've had a number of friends recently comment on, I don't spend a lot of time on social media. I have tried, but it is just, I think it's not how my being wants to be in the world. But um, I have a lot of friends who are on social media and have pretty, pretty decent sized audiences and have been talking about what they're experiencing is a lot more anger than they've ever experienced before in comments, in posts, in things that, and just outside of social media. I mean, there is a world outside of social media. So in the world outside of social media, also feeling the, the anger. And, and I'm, I, I wonder if you're, one, if that's something that you've been attentive to, because uh, so much of tending to the sacred is about this intention around love and being rooted in love if that's something that you're present to, and if it is, if you see that as, as stronger right now. Definitely. I think that anger um, is an emotion that often arises from suppressing grief, from not really, you know, from not feeling and from not being heard or supported in our grief, which I think is a really big issue. And so a lot of the anger is just a bunch of hurt inner children projecting onto each other. And it's, it is really, really intense out there. It's really intense in social media right now. And I think ultimately a lot of this anger is teaching us to see ourselves and the other. Um, anger is a really sort of sticky, low, dense emotional energy, and it kind of spreads like wildfire. It can really, really spread. And I think that's what we're seeing right now, but the only remedy is to really, to greet the anger with compassion, with soothing. If you have a child who's having like a tantrum and they're really, really angry and they're really upset. You know, you can see how the anger affects their bodies. Like they get really hot, their face gets red. There's tears coming through to try to cool them off. And this, this fire needs cooling. It needs like that energy of the mother, the cool sort of feminine heart energy. 
I think about, you know, the energetics of the rose. The rose is the highest vibrational flower that connects us to our heart. It's also very cooling and soothing and energetic. And we're needing to, to all kind of root into that energy, that, that rose mother energy. And, and a lot of that comes back to being our own mothers, you know, soothing the angry inner child within who is not feeling heard, not feeling seen, not feeling protected. That's a lot of it. Like we're in a really big fear state um, right now as a, as a culture and we're not feeling safe. We're not feeling protective that that fear can, can come out as anger as well. Um, And it's really hard right now. I, I totally respect that you're not on it because when you're in a really angry state you're in a a low vibrational state and it can be really hard to come out of that and that's why we really need community support right now we need to feel like we all have a safe space to express our voice from the heart not just our you know angry projecting voice but um we need to really also just be looking at everyone right now as just a child. We're all just children. Everyone on the internet is just a child. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The internet's like a new thing. We're trying to figure it out. Like we all are just children on the internet. I think it's definitely wise for us to spend a lot more time offline and engaged in meaningful connection with others that we feel like we can be ourselves with, that we trust, that we feel we can be supported and seen with because yeah fighting on the internet is actually it's just fueling the fire it's not solving anything it's not creating more unity it's it's not you know there is this element of like justice sure but it actually isn't creating more justice it's it's not actually as helpful as maybe our minds think it to be really coming back to the heart is is the remedy and it's not like you know this spiritual bypassing like only love and only light it, it's not that it's it's really coming into the heart for ourselves and being able to see others from that place and to see others from the eye of our heart and that comes back to openness which i think you know, it's talking about love, even just saying that like, oh, it's all love, it's all light. And yet one of the things that can go unacknowledged is just how courageous loving is. I feel like it's the deepest work of my life. And and you you talk about being open. You said, my spiritual gifts and energetic sensitivities were overwhelming. And I was in I was in pain that I wasn't ready to face. An open heart meant my already heightened sensitivity, my already heightened sensitivities were amplified. And I was afraid of what was on the other side of my openness. And then later you said, all spiritual work asks us to have an open heart and to commit to softening and opening more and more as we grow. It is through this openness that we find the sacred within. And I think this, that is not easy work. Like, Mm -hmm opening 
in a world where it actually feels so much easier to protect and to close and um, just push out and reject before I can be rejected, before I can be pushed away and to keep in my safe little world. I feel that opening is actually an extremely big and brave it's it's big and brave work so what does that look like and how do you use ritual to move into more openness first um to be really open to life as a sensitive person you do have to have really strong energetic boundaries i don't know how much i talk about that in the book but when I was younger and, and beginning my journey, I had zero boundaries at all. I had zero sense of worth with which our worthiness is really um, what facilitates boundaries for us. So that's a really important aspect of being open is honoring your worth and really having a deep sense of love for yourself, which is an ongoing journey. Maybe that's the hardest work of all. But this, your love is your protection. And I find, I work with a lot of sensitive people. I'm a highly sensitive person and the world can feel really overwhelming as sensitive. There's a lot of heightened energy, and especially you know the last two years, it's been insane. There's so much fear, there's so much anger, there's so much grief, there's so much death. It's been really intense and we have to really, really work towards having an unwavering sense of self in order to stay open. And that is very, very hard. And for me, that really looks like kind of changing my entire system. I've definitely, I've worked with practitioners on this. I have my own practice around this um, of really reprogramming the way my mind awareness body responds to life, to, to responds to things that are overwhelming or stimulating or, or big or intense, because in order to be open to life, you're open to it all, the whole spectrum of emotion, the whole spectrum of creation, of experience. And so, you know, the work to stay open is to stay really rooted in yourself, number one. And then also to look at where you're closing, you know, where are you feeling separation between yourself and another? Where are you feeling conflict or separation in any experience in your life? Where are you judging another person? You know, we really have to look at all these things and, and create change there. And so I really use ritual practice to, to change patterns in that way. So a big one for me has always been judgment. I tend to see things that other people can't see. <laughs> um, I see what is true, even if a person isn't saying it. And so there's this real critical lens that I tend to see the world through. And that's very helpful for me. I mean, it definitely comes out of my writing, but it also can be a little sabotage -y. And I have to really watch, you know, where am I 
projecting judgment. And a lot of times that can turn into this pattern of like needing to fix people. They see like, oh, this person's really living in this pattern. I don't really want to be around that. I'm going to try to fix it. It's all like a deeply, deeply ingrained subconscious thing. But, you know, it's a pattern that I've had really my entire life. I don't know a time that I haven't had it. And part of it is because I had to really um, regulate and manage my mom who had a lot of trauma, had a lot of intense experiences in my early age, even when I was in the womb and feeling like really uh, guided me in life. So my ritual practice comes in when I'm wanting to change a pattern like that, to change a something I just need to let go of, something that isn't serving me, something that is you know, preventing me from having strong energetic boundaries. That's preventing me from being open and taking it through a ritual. And the ritual is usually really organic for me. I just, I use the four pillars. So to have the intention, I want to, I want to release judgment. I want to release the judgment that I project onto others coming from like a wounded space within and use my judgment just to be discerning. Um, because the judgment that I have, the really strong sense of judgment is a good thing. It allows me to be really discerning. It allows me to, to, it gives me courage to go into the direction that I need to. So taking that intention, creating space for it, you know, how do I want to create the space for this change coming into that like inner mother space and really visualizing and projecting those results. What would it be like if I wasn't trying to fix everyone all the time? What would it be like if I just um, let it go and allow people to do their own work? (laughs) (laughs) Which I think is an issue that many, many of us have, especially women, especially sensitive people, um, especially healers. And yeah, I can't say for sure like what that ritual is because the ritual is always it's like an infinite creative well it's just whatever it needs to be in that moment but allowing ritual to facilitate the change and then using action towards something different so like I said before it's making choices like if I see myself judging someone and like internalizing judgment I'm judging someone and saying oh they're like really reacting from this place like I wish they wouldn't do that like how can I just immediately transform that by seeing something so beautiful in them or being able to come to them with more compassion. Well, I was just going to say that one of the things when you said, I I can't say exactly what kind of ritual it is because it can be any, any kind you know, it depends on the moment. It depends on, on so many things. And I think that really speaks to everything you've been talking about of this trusting oneself and listening to to one's own values, beliefs is that not there's not a specific way, there's not a right way to do the ritual, any mm-hmm. ritual. It's whatever feels right to me, to you in the moment, and and then to keep working with that. So I, I love that you don't actually have, I mean, you do have you do have prescribed rituals and they're beautiful and in, in tending to the sacred and um, there's space with all of them to use it in whatever way 
I would want to, the reader wants to, or change it and, and see what resonates. Yeah, I think that is so important. I think that ritual should be a really personal thing. I mean, doing like group ritual or community ritual, of course, is so beautiful. But if for your, your personal ritual practice, it should be ever flowing, ever changing, be what feels good for you. You don't have to use any tools. It could just be you and your journal or you sitting outside. You know, you don't necessarily need anything as long as you have the intention and, and you're making the time, you know, you're creating the space for it and you're connecting to your heart and you're, and you're connecting to that trust that creation can happen. Yeah, that's beautiful. Uh, another piece I want to, because since we touched on, we talked about death and then you had mentioned about pleasure and everything you do, that it be something that brings you pleasure and, and we have a tough time. It's easy to have a tough time with pleasure in a culture mm -hmm. that puts productivity over pleasure and, and also has very interesting ways of defining pleasure. And I remember listening to an interview that you did. She was asking you about tattoos and you shared that you did one, I believe, after having gone through a miscarriage, you, you got this uh image through meditation of this tattoo if I'm getting the story right and you mm -hmm. you tattooed yourself and the thing that you said about this was the tattoo transformed me it showed me the importance of joy especially at a time when I was grieving and the world was grieving and helped me tune into pleasure which is something we are disconnected to as a society first of all I thought wow that's amazing that a tattoo somehow showed you the importance of joy that it showed you joy and and this connection this importance of pleasure because it, I think it is really important to bring that into the conversation and and why pleasure matters so much joy matters so much yeah so you're right on the story um I at the start of the pandemic I became pregnant and I mean, what a time to bring like a new child into the world is definitely not, not unplanned, but not uh, just unexpected. And around the time I was seeing hummingbirds everywhere, we had um, hummingbird feeder on our front porch. And sometimes there would be like 15 hummingbirds around it. And usually hummingbirds are like very territorial. You know, you'll see like one or two, but they're just a swarm. And so I felt, okay, this is a little bit strange, but I know to trust nature and to trust how nature is showing up for me. So I'm going to sit with the hummingbirds. And I sat with them and they were teaching me so much about fertility. And I was already pregnant at the time, but there was like something really specific that they wanted to teach me about fertility. And essentially they were teaching me that the most fertile energy is joy and pleasure. And I mean, if you think about it, like it makes a lot of sense, but you know, we are currently in a time where I don't necessarily believe in infertility, but I'm just going to say it, that we're in a time where there's a lot of infertility in the world. You know, there's just 
a lack of creativity for one, a lot of trouble with women becoming pregnant, you know, it's all connected. And I ended up channeling this tattoo that I found out I was pregnant and I didn't want to tattoo it on myself, like an early pregnancy. So I kind of just like sat it on, I drew it out, put it on my altar and just connected with it. And it's a hummingbird and there is a squash blossom. And squash blossom is another medicine that really teaches fertility and creativity um, and how to really expand the well for creation and how to really nourish the self for creation. So sat on my altar, I ended up miscarrying. There was a, a lot of medicine in that, which I won't go into right now, but I, I sat with this design and meditated with it for a few months and maybe six or seven months later, I ended up tattooing it and it wanted to be over my heart, which was extremely hard to tattoo yourself on your chest, but I did it through a mirror. It turned out as good as it could turn out pretty well, I'd say. Um, and the whole thing about my tattoo practice is everything carries a vibration, every symbol, every leaf, tree, person, object, like everything has a frequency. And when you're creating an intentional art piece, um, doesn't even have to be a tattoo, could be any art. When you're creating intentional symbolism, you're putting intention into shapes and colors or you know, whatever you want to use, you're creating a frequency. And then with tattoo art, when you're bringing that frequency onto your body, it's then changing your vibration. It's changing your own frequency because you're merging with this, this symbol, this, this energy. And I, I'm actually writing another book Oh. all about creativity and, and a lot of this is in, in the book or will be in the book. And, and I was just being taught through the hummingbirds and through this design, how as a culture, the reason why we're not fertile, the reason why we're not creative or we don't have the energy to create is because we're not prioritizing pleasure. We're not prioritizing joy. We're prioritizing what we think we need to do in order to feel safe or to feel secure or to get the job done or to do, you know, we're really in that masculine energetic and the masculine energetic is really needed for creativity. You need both feminine and masculine energy to create. And this is not gender, it's just energy, but that feminine uh, aspect of creation is the seed. It's the beginning you know it's it's what is it's the foundation it's what is needed first so if you if you're trying to create from a masculine place of go 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 do 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 create 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 outwardly without the feminine that's why we get burnt out this is why we get you know super ungrounded this is why we you know are exhausted all the time the feminine is not nourished and how we really nourish the feminine is through pleasure and through joy. And so since tattooing this on me, I have really tried to, this has been a big part of my ritual practice is creating ritual um, over the last 
six months year that are really about pleasure um, and simplifying my ritual practice to make it really pleasurable. And for me, that looks like connecting more to my senses. You know, the senses are what connect to, connects us to pleasure, the smell of jasmine or rose oil, the feel of the warmth of the sun on my skin, really, really connecting to the senses and allowing that to guide my body into a state of pleasure. And then from there, I noticed it's a lot easier to kind of shift into the feminine and prioritize more joy. And this comes back to energetic boundaries too, is like, where do we feel we're not worth pleasure? Where do we feel like we're not worth carving out space for joy? Um, and really looking at that and, and, and needing to reevaluate why do we think that we're not worth pleasure? And sadly, most of us don't even know what pleasure feels like or don't know what creating a life of pleasure would even mean or you know what it would feel like. And I think if you're wanting to create a life of more pleasure, connecting to the senses is, is really important because that's going to connect us to our bodies and we have to, pleasure is felt in the body, it's not felt in the mind. And we are navigating this world really from the mind, most, most people. And so coming back to the body, what feels pleasurable for you? And this is getting to know your body too, like giving yourself self-massage, touching your skin. How does it feel? What part of your body feels good to touch? What smells feel good to smell? You know, what feels beautiful? Um, what fabrics do you love? What feels good to touch? Um, what do you love to look at? You know, what, what does beauty look like to you? What's your favorite flower? You know, really connecting to those very simple pleasures of being a human and engaging with the natural world. The earth provides so much pleasure for us. I mean, just look at the earth, look at all the flowers, like smell all the smells, feel all of the climates, all of, all of the cycles of nature. So we really have to get reconnected to our bodies first and foremost. And this was a big reminder for me, this, this journey I had with, with the tattoo design because there were places where I still was disconnected from my body. I was still, you know, navigating from the mind, um, letting the mind be my authority more than my body and needing to slow down and create space for that to change. Yeah, it's huge, this connection to the body and the wisdom that the body holds and how far we have moved from that in, in a world where we, we do. I was definitely raised prioritizing the mind over the body and mm -hmm. that, that's beautiful. I love that. I wanna ask one last thing after I go into the last part of the interview, but before I do that, is there anything that I haven't touched on that, I, that you wanna make sure gets it's spoken. Mm -hmm. Nothing's coming to me. I, I feel like we've covered, we've covered a lot. So before I ask the last thing, I'll just do two things. One is letting people know where you can find Ashley. So you can go to Ashley, A-S-H-L-E-Y, River, 
like it sounds, River Brant, B-R-A-N-T dot love. And everything, everything is there. And then you can also find your Instagram handle there. You can connect through social. You can find Tending to the Sacred, which is a really stunning book. It's owning this book is is its own work of art. There's a lot of art in the book, a lot of art that that Ashley's created, drawings, watercolors, and and then they're in the book with all the color. And then all these photographs are included. So there's all this color, there's all this art, this beauty with the words around ritual and around what is sacred and love and all of these pieces that we really have to, I feel, again, just speaking for myself, I am constantly re-devoting myself to in a space where that is not what I was taught. So this this devotion to the sacred, this devotion to love, devotion to ritual, to caring for oneself, to caring for one's world, and by in so doing, caring for the world and for the people in it. So it's it's really beautiful. And then I'll do a, a short gratitude and then ask my last question. So I like to offer something that I'm grateful for. And I think in this particular conversation with you, Ashley, it's can just, you know, this commitment that you have to your practice, to your life, to listening, to spirit, to staying really rooted in not just ritual, but in, in the sacred. It's so deeply part of who you are that when in this conversation and in, in reading your words and then listening to your podcast, I felt different after listening to episodes of your podcast. Like I could feel more space in myself. And that to me is such a tremendous gift to live in such a way that what you're creating in your life actually changes the way that I feel in my own body, heart, and mind. It, I mean, it's, it's really, it's quite phenomenal. So thank you very much for your dedication, your devotion to your path and to yourself and to the sacred and, and the spirit. It's, thank you. Thank you. That was really beautiful. You're welcome. And the last thing I want to ask you something that you, you said this, how there's this lack of creativity in the world right now. And you talk a lot about this power that we each have in our own lives to, to create our own lives, to weave our own web, as you say. And when there is this lack of creativity, first of all, like, how is that connected to us knowing or not knowing the power that we hold in our life? And how do we begin to tap more into that and, and begin to own this, our, our lives or the creation of our own lives and our own art? Yeah. Well, I'll start by saying that 
no one knows how powerful that they are. We are so, so much more powerful than we are even living, even those who may be really connected to their creativity, but we are so infinitely powerful and so infinitely creative. And the, I would say the first step to really stepping into that creativity is to really focus on your intention. And maybe this means like getting really, really quiet to tune into your desires. And, you know, desire doesn't live in the mind, it lives in the body. So maybe this means like really, really creating some space to be with your body. Um, but to think about your desires, and I do have a free gift on my website. If you sign up for my newsletter, there's this ebook that's all about intention. And I created this ebook because I think if you're wanting to live a creative life, this is your first step is to really get clear on what it is that you want to create. You have to really at least feel into what you want to create in order to create it, you know? And then it comes back to those, those other pillars, creating the space to be creative. Maybe this means you stop working all the time <laughs> or you take a breath and pause and think about and feel what needs to change what's going to bring you into a state of more pleasure and more joy and I think just starting there is really really powerful I think as a culture we really stopped dreaming we come into this life as infants with a purpose. And I really believe that when we're small children, we know exactly what we came here to be, what we came here to do. And we have this ability to really, really dream. Kids are really, um, they swim in that, that realm of fantasy and imagination, and, and that's the dream space. And it's really important for us as adults to go back to that, to go back to that imagination, that dream space. It may seem like fantasy, but if you can dream it, you can actually create it. And I think we have to really, you know, look at our conditioning around that. Where, where have we been told in our lives that we, you know, we can't do this because it's not practical or we can't create that because only people who look like this or who have this background or this sort of privilege can do this. And there's a lot of limitations in our world right now. And dreaming allows us to see beyond those limitations. And, you know, so spending some time in that space. And maybe that even looks like having like a ritual that you do before you go to bed every night and you you spend more time in, in dreams, setting the intention for what do you want to be revealed to you in your, your dreams that you dream while you're asleep? Um, working with, with that aspect, because when we're dreaming, we, we go to that space of infinite creation. That's what that, that realm of dreaming is. Um, so spending some time there and, and allowing your intention to come from that space. And if you feel resistance or you feel even like guilt, I feel like a lot of people um, feel guilt for wanting something different or wanting something, you know, greater than what they have now. 
we need to just look at all the emotions, feel all the emotions. And that's where death comes in. Like, can we let go? Can we grieve that part of us that we thought was who we are, that identity? You know, I'm a person who does this. I'm a person who believes this. Like, can we let go and merge more with that infinite space, that dreaming space, that creative space instead of the more finite space? Beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you so much, Ashley. It was, it was wonderful to connect with you in this way. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so glad. I think that you are really so good at what you do. And I really, really honor and respect all the time and intention that you put in these interviews. I really honor you for really being able to see and reflect and, and ask the right questions. I mean, questions are really beautiful and I think it's, it's such a gift. Thank you for having me. It's an honor and a joy to connect to you. If you'd like to be part of a more intimate conversation with Ashley, she will join us in January as we go deep into intention and how to use intention to create the year we long for. Links to Within and Ashley's work are in the show notes. If this conversation has moved you or inspired you in some way, take time with it. Let the words and the wisdom settle in. And if you feel called to share this episode with someone else, please do. For all show notes and past episodes and to learn about all offerings, go to DaphneCone.com. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, you can do that over on iTunes or Spotify, and you can review it over at iTunes. Thank you for listening.